0: Listeners, and welcome to the Downright Upright Show, the place to go to hear out loud and proud what Minnesotans are thinking. And I am your host, Philip Anthony. Thank you all for choosing to join us today. And I hope everyone is doing fantabulous. And Fantabulous is fantastic. Fabulous put together twice as nice, saves a lot of time. And my special guest today is the CEO of Planned Parenthood North Central States. And former state representative, she happened to be my state representative, and we miss you, but you're doing you're doing great work, Ruth Richardson. Yay, Ruth! Hi, welcome to the Downright Upright Show.
1: Thank you for having me on your show again. Again, <laughs> yes,
0: it was fun the first time. It was, but I was a little wet behind the ears at the first. Uh, you were great, show. really. <laughs> yeah, oh, absolutely. She's so amazing, guys. Um, I was. Uh, it was just a podcast at that time. Now, um, this is the second show that's broadcast on the radio, so I'm so thrilled that I finally got to this part of my uh, show and, and it reached this peak, I guess is the term to use. So again, thank you for joining me again, Ruth. It's amazing to see you again. It's been a while. I think you were yes. on in, what, when, how long ago was it, a year and a half ago or yeah, something? Yeah,
1: something like that. Yeah, yeah.
0: We had to stay in touch. So uh, you were a guest on the show last year, and you were representing District 52B, which was mine, yes. in the State House. And at that time, I was one of your constituents. On that show last year, you discussed your beginnings, like where you were born raised. So for the radio audience, yeah. um, let's, the podcast audience already knows you, <laughs> but let's reintroduce you to the radio audience.
1: Yeah, so I am a Minnesota native, was born and raised in St. Paul uh, in Frogtown. Uh, my parents actually moved to Minnesota from Mississippi before I was born, um, grew up in a large family. Um, seven brothers and sisters and uh, was the first in my family to, to, to go to uh, college and stayed local um, at the University of Minnesota followed that up with uh, William Mitchell uh, College of, of law and have really just been you know focused on a, a life of service in many ways and that was something that was really um, sort of ingrained in me as a, as as a child mm-hmm. before you did
0: The political stuff. Yeah. What did you have uh, other uh, 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 a different occupation um, that led to you becoming a state house member?
1: Well, the interesting thing is, I always refer to myself as an accidental politician because there was no strategic plan that got (laughs) me to the Minnesota State House. That was that was uh, not on my uh, bingo card, actually. Um, But um, I, I. did a lot of work when I was in high school um, and college uh, with youth and like after school programs. I was a freedom school teacher. Uh, My first job, interestingly enough, was actually at the state capitol. uh, And I gave tours to uh, youth groups. So like kids would come in from elementary school and I would give tours of the capitol. Um, And as like, You know, I was like the third youngest of my brothers and sisters, so I was used to following the herd. I didn't have a great sense of direction, so I used to get (laughs) lost in the capital all the time with a bunch of kids. It was a good time. Well,
0: you were a state house member. You sponsored the Paid Family and Medical Leave Program, and thank you for that. That's Mm -hmm. amazing. Right now there's people out there that you've completely changed their lives. And I recall that there was a famous photograph of you standing next to Governor Walls. As he signed the bill into law. That, that, I don't know why that's ingrained in my brain. It's just because <laughs> I opened the paper and there you are and it was,
1: wow. It was an amazing day. It
0: was. Yeah. What were your feelings uh, when you saw the governor sign your bill, basically, into law?
1: Well, it was a bill that I had worked on for a number of years. And even before I started working on the bill, uh, the bill had been around for over a decade. So there were several um, legislators over the years that had worked on this bill for paid family and medical uh, leave. So to be the person holding the baton at the moment that we finally were able to get this passed in both the House and the Senate, just recognizing the impact that it is going to have for Minnesotans and for for families. Um, it's really hard to describe how amazing that experience was to be at a point that we are going to be able to ensure that All folks have the ability to take care of themselves and to take care of their loved ones when they need to because we know it's a universal need. At some point, all of us are going to need, um, you know, either medical leave or family leave.
0: Yeah, and to keep their job. Exactly. You know, because there there are – you know, certain jobs that if you did not show up at work and you are taking care of a sick family, you, you, they let you go.
1: Yeah. And I mean, and that's why this oh is- my God. Yeah. And that's why this is so important. Yeah. And we also recognize that while this is going to be new for Minnesotans, it's something that basically the rest of the world does. So I'm like, we can figure this out too.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why not? Yeah. The rest of the world could do it. We could do it. And we're the richest country in the world. Hello. Maybe we could do this, right? Um, And to piggyback on that previous question, uh, what were some other important bills that uh, were eventually signed into law by the governor that you took part in? Because on the last show, I think you mentioned a few. So can you just remind us about some of those bills?
1: Yeah. um, You know, just – Kind of thinking of some of the bills that I was able to get across the finish line in the five years um, at at the Capitol. Um, You know, paid family medical leave was probably the largest, like, in in, in terms of thinking about um, some of the most transformational. But I'm also really proud of the work that I did around substance use disorders and mental health, um, ensuring that pregnant and parenting uh, people uh, could have um, access to the services and supports that they uh, needed. Um, really proud of that. Uh, we. Uh, became the first uh, state uh, in the nation to uh, create an office for missing and murdered black women and girls. So made history. We were the first state? We, we were the first state, yeah. Really? Mm-hmm. Wow. The first state. Good uh, for you. Yeah, first state to do that. And um, really proud of that accomplishment. Um, uh, got a bill across the finish line to pre- – a couple of bills to prevent catalytic converter uh, theft. I remember that one. Yes. That one. And it's actually down. Uh, thefts are actually down in Minnesota and so that is um, uh, that is that is really
0: I've heard a thank.
1: Good news <laughs> um, you know suicide prevention training uh, for uh, teachers. weren't you also a part of the Crown Act? Yes, part of the Crown Act and also did a lot of work around uh, maternal health. So the Dignity in Pregnancy and Childbirth Act bill, um, expanding postnatal coverage. Uh, so those first 12 weeks after giving birth that uh, individuals could get up to three uh, visits that would be covered by insurance as opposed to one visit at six weeks, knowing that um, it's a vulnerable time, right? Like. Um, after giving uh, giving birth and recognizing that being able to get access to comprehensive care uh, postnatally can also reduce um, maternal mortality. So lots of work around reducing maternal mortality, infant mortality, um, and some environmental things too um, to ensure that uh, we were replenishing funds that had been uh, taken away from the Metropolitan Landfill Contingency uh, Trust Fund. Um, and that, and those funds are so important because they ensure that we can keep our water sources and our soil sources that are near landfills um, uh, contained, so that we're not like polluting those waters or soils.
0: Yeah, yeah. So when we come back after our break, we're going to get into the the Baileywick of of your career, which is now Planned Parenthood, and how you uh, transitioned. Even though you, I think you were in Parent Parent, but you... you, I was doing both, yeah. You're doing both, and now you're just concentrating on that. So after these messages, we will be back with the wonderful Ruth Richardson on the Downright Upright Show. Upright Show. I am your host, Philip Anthony, and I am with Ruth Richardson. She is amazing. And we're going to talk about her um, work with Planned Parenthood. This is an important subject. It's It touched my family, um, and it, it, I'll talk about it later, but yeah. I want you to talk about uh what Planned Parenthood is doing for our community. So let's start with how you transitioned. Because again, you—I you, just learned this before when we started the show—that you were doing both. You were doing State House and Planned Parenthood at the same time. So how did it transition to just Planned Parenthood?
1: Yeah, you know, really interesting. The sort of my journey to Planned Parenthood. Much like being a a, a politician, there wasn't a strategic plan that got me to Planned Parenthood. But I really think it's um, a reflection of me walking within sort of my purpose. That's that's sort of what led me there. Mm -hmm. Um, When when Roe was overturned and the Dobbs decision was leaked, I was actually at a conference in D.C. and I got a call from a recruiter and they said – there's this job at Planned Parenthood North Central States and your name has come up multiple times from people. And, you know, we wanted to just kind of check in to see if this is something that you might be interested in. And it really kind of caught me off guard. And um, I got off the phone call. I called my daughter and I'm like, I just got this call from like Planned Parenthood North Central States. And they're asking me if I'm interested in this job. And, she 's like, "Why are you talking to me? You should be talking to them and <laughs> you know um this was this was around the time that the Dobbs decision had leaked right and and so um and I had read the Dobbs decision, and when I read the Dobbs decision, what had really struck me was how far back they were really trying to go when you read that, that leaked um, uh, decision. Because I kept hearing people saying, like, this decision is going to push us back, like, 50 years. And I'm like, no, this decision's trying to push us back, like, 250 years to, like, an original intent reading of the Constitution when people that looked like me were not considered to be humans. Right. Mm -hmm. Or to be protected um, by uh, the Constitution, because I could see very clearly not only were they coming for access to abortion, but they were coming for contraceptives. They were coming for marriage equality. And, you know, I was seeing these conversations where people were talking about how Brown versus Board of Education and um, like separate but equal should be like, you know, states rights. And um, it really was sort of an impetus for me to say, like, this is, you know, I've i have really dedicated my life to service. And in this moment, at this time, it was really important that I did this. Yeah.
0: And I think that this court, Supreme Court we're talking about, was molded mm-hmm. to do this. This was the mission um, that – the ex-president, twice impeached 91 times, indicted president was his intention because he said that was a litmus test for people to be on the Supreme Court. That was never, that was unheard of. You never heard a president say, well, what's your view on blah, blah, blah? And then they would pick that person. I mean, that's insane. And so, um, yeah, and that's why to me, we need to vote. We need to get out and uh, express how important women's health is. We have to maybe, like we did in Minnesota, pass pass states, each state pass uh, laws to protect women's health. Um, So this is an umbrella question, but it's very general. Why is, uh, this is an obvious question for you and I, but why is women's uh, reproductive health care such an important lifeline to their wellness. What, you know, give us the uh, nuts and bolts of that.
1: You know, I, I think that when people think about what we've been hearing so much uh, about, like, access to uh, abortion care, they really think of it, like, really narrowly. Mm-hmm. And what, um, You know, at Planned Parenthood North Central States, one of the things that we are really cognizant of and we spend a lot of time educating about is how interconnected our health is as we think about sexual and reproductive health. Because Mm -hmm. what we know is the states with the most restrictive abortion laws, they have the highest rates of maternal mortality they have the highest rates of infant uh, mortality, and those are um, those are consequences of not having access to a comprehensive uh, range of sexual and reproductive uh, health care uh, services and When you restrict access to one form of health care, it actually harms communities overall uh, because you see. Uh, situations of maternity health care deserts increasing because you begin to lose providers, right? Um, and you also um, see things increasing like sexually transmitted infections because when you don't have the same resources to screen and treat uh, for STIs, um, thinking about things like cancer screenings, all of those things are really critical and they're all interrelated when you think about comprehensive sexual and reproductive uh, uh, health care. And so I think it's really important that people understand when we're restricting access to a form of health care, it causes harm.
0: Yeah, yeah. And thank you for bringing up the fact that, because, you know, the right wing, their their mantra is Planned Parenthood abortion. That's mm-hmm. it. That's all it does. And you brought up uh, women's health care in general. Mm-hmm. I mean, this could be the only access to health care that women have in their community. And uh, it's, it's an amazing organization for that reason. And, you know, rich people can always, rich women could just, you know, get on an airplane and fly to a, you know, a different place and get an abortion if they need one. Uh, it's the poor people that suffer and that go through the health care issues and blah, 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 you know. So, yeah, uh, yeah, we have to realize that. We have to change the the, the the message we have to say: the Planned Parenthood is a women's health organization, not the abortion thing. Is the right wing's way of, of of addressing it, correct?
1: Well, and you you, you bring up a very important point because um, abortion bans don't ban abortions for everyone. No, they only ban abortions for people Poor who people. don't have the means or the opportunity exactly. to travel. Exactly, and and so. Understanding that I think is um, I think that is really important and you know, and as an organization, we are unapologetically providing the full spectrum of sexual and reproductive health care, and that includes uh, and that includes abortion care and there's so much stigma around um, there's so much stigma around abortion care when it's health care just like everything else and so that i think is really important for people to understand And, you know, with the the work that we do at Planned Parenthood, you know, in addition to abortion care, we provide, uh, vasectomies. We provide cancer screenings. We provide mental health, uh, services. And we're always thinking about ways that we can be sort of more holistic in terms of meeting the needs of communities. Because as a nonprofit healthcare provider, Mm -hmm. we are oftentimes that safety net, right? Um, you know, we, we see individuals who have the ability to pay, but we also see individuals who don't. Um, And I even think back to like my first interaction with Planned Parenthood when I was a college student and uh, I didn't have insurance. And I didn't have a lot of money. And I uh, had lived with like debilitating pain for all of my teens and didn't know why. Had been to many doctors, had been to emergency rooms, and had my pain dismissed for years. And it wasn't until I found Planned Parenthood that I was treated with empathy. I was listened to, and I was put on a path that allowed me to live without chronic and debilitating pain for the first time in my life.
0: Oh, my goodness. Wow, that's powerful. I mean, we have these are messages we have to get out, Ruth, we really do. I mean, the, the right wing has, you know, they're putting this label on Planned Parenthood that, you know, uh, that's, I mean, yes, we do provide, you do provide uh, abortion care, but it's not just that. There's so many issues that Planned Parenthood, uh, uh, you know, confronts and takes care of, It is, you know, uh, mental health. I mean, yeah. women that come in stressed out about, uh, you know, what's going on. They And they do provide health care, uh, mm-hmm. mental health care for that woman as well. Now, um, I want to get into the OBGYNs because this is yeah. another really important issue. Um, it has been reported that many OBGYNs are leaving the red states because they cannot practice all yeah. capital letters, all aspects of their specialty. How dangerous is it if many of these doctors leave these red states and be- and it becomes more difficult to get full essential health care for childbearing people.
1: It's extremely dangerous. Oh, and yeah. you know and and with Planned Parenthood North Central States, we um we cover the midwest. Um Minnesota, North Dakota, South Dakota, Iowa, and Nebraska. And let me use Iowa as an example right now who has seen a number of providers leave the state, Uh, 33 of Iowa's uh, counties are maternal health deserts. There's zero maternal health care there. And, you know, I know that we talked about um, uh, previously a little bit about the maternal um, health crisis that we have with maternal mortality. We know nationally, Black women are three times more likely to die from a pregnancy-related cause.
0: Absolutely, and
1: you yep. can control for all the factors: education, um, you know, income, access to insurance, like housing, uh, general overall health, nutrition. You can control for all those things. Right. You know, family status. Mental health status, still more likely to die. Well, in Iowa, they're six times more likely to die from a pregnancy-related cause, right? And so you see when when you have these not only restrictions on access to abortion care – But you have the um, sort of the fallout from that when you have uh, people who are thinking about where they want to put down roots and where they want to practice medicine and wanting to be able to provide the full comprehension, like to work to the top of their license. We're seeing those implications um, as people are leaving states. And it's not just about banning abortion. It is about there is a fear that comes with practicing within a state where you don't know whether you're going to be criminalized and and no one wants to go to work every day sort of questioning, like, am I going to be prosecuted today mm-hmm. for um, doing what I've been trained, uh, what I've been trained to do? And so there's been a real sort of chilling effect that is impacting not only patients, um, but providers and there's also the state of like mass confusion because now we have a patchwork quilt of laws um and when you ask the general person what's legal within their state oftentimes they don't know and that's why since stops has been overturned we've helped across our affiliate more than 2,000 uh uh, people get to their uh, abortion appointments with our patient navigators, because oftentimes people are calling and saying, I don't know if it's legal because, you know, I, I heard about this the state law that um, was introduced. I don't know if it was passed. I don't know if I can use Plan B. I don't know if I can get access to, uh, you know, mifepristone." There's there's this, there's a this state of confusion, and I just think it's important that people recognize that this is manufactured confusion. Mm-hmm. This has been oh, the yeah. long-game oh, approach oh my God. to all of this.
0: Oh, yeah. That goes without saying. Mm-hmm. I mean, look, if I were an ob and a woman comes in and I'm taking care of her and she's pregnant, and in the seventh month – I don't care what month it is – that's why when you know, you hear Republicans say – you know, they, wanna, they want abortions up to the time of birth. Yeah, maybe. I mean, if the mother is going to die and and there's sepsis going on, there's something going on, and without the abortion, the woman could die. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. And, and I think, you know, every OBGYN takes a Hippocratic oath, mm-hmm. correct? Is, is, mm-hmm. Am I wrong? And what's the Hippocratic oath say? Do well, no it's, harm. It's about doing no harm. Mhm. Take care of that person. Yeah. You you have to take care of that woman, she or the childbearing person. Mm-hmm. Uh and make sure that they are cared for. That's the that's the target for me in my head. Um so anyway, um what do you think about um people or or doctors in this case OBGYNs leaving and going all all leaving and going to blue states mm-hmm. and Leaving these women and childbearing people in these red states with hardly any um, access
1: well what we have started to see is um, a trend of not only providers um, you know leaving states but we're also seeing more people travel across state lines to get access to health care
0: yeah I wonder if it, I hate to interrupt you here but mm-hmm. do you are you finding that um a lot of childbearing people are going into the blue states and overwhelming the Planned Parenthoods in the blue states?
1: I mean, you, we've we've seen across our region over, like, a 25 percent, like, increase in terms of, of people coming into our region for abortion care mm-hmm. uh, specifically. And just in terms of, like, you know, as far away as uh, uh, Florida – Texas, Louisiana, yeah. um, we 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 have seen this this influx of of folks that have been coming in, and I think what's really important is not only are we seeing people coming in from states where abortion has been restricted or banned, we're also seeing people coming in from states where abortion is still legal because they don't know if it's still legal within their oh. state because they, they hear so many things yes. right on the news in terms of um, uh, court cases yeah. that are pending or they're hearing about like bills that have been introduced and it creates this, this uh, confusion. It's fog. Yeah. Yeah. I mean,
0: people don't know if, you know, maybe I need to go to Minnesota. Because I don't know if, you know, I can get care.
1: Well, they hear about like the PRO Act, which was passed, the Protect Reproductive Options Act that was passed last legislative session. Mm -hmm. And so they see that coverage and it's like, well, I know I can go to Minnesota and get access to uh, abortion care. But, you know, might be thinking they are confused in their own state if that is, if if they can get access.
0: Have you noticed Minnesota is like a beacon? I mean, for everything and for women's health. For LGBTQ people, I mean, there is trans people coming here, and I went to and I talk about this uh, a lot. That uh, I I was at Pride and I did a Pride show. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brett was with me when we were there, and a lot of the trans people we interviewed at Pride said we came here because we wanted to be ourselves. We were scared in the state we were in, so yeah. Minnesota, thank you, and thank the governor. For everything and and the DFL, which uh, of which you were a member, and yeah, we, we, it's a beacon.
1: Well, and you know, and you and you bring up a really important point about gender affirming care um, as well, which is also a service that Planned Parenthood yes. uh, provides, and. What we saw last legislative session, there were more than 500 anti-LGBTQ plus bills that were introduced across the United States. And so, again, you have um, sort of this attack on on, on health care. But at the same time that that was happening, you know, um, within states, uh, we also saw in Minnesota – we passed the Trans Refuge um, Act, yeah. right? And and
0: you were in Congress when the, uh, you were in at the House, State House. The yes, oh, yeah, yes, yeah. Mm-hmm. yes.
1: Was very uh, proud to vote for the pro act and 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 also for the uh, Trans Refuge um, uh, bill as well. And there and and we and we hear those stories, right? We hear those stories about people. Who are making decisions to move to Minnesota uh, because they want to be in an environment that is inclusive and that is um, affirming for for their loved ones, mm-hmm. and uh, we're also seeing that uh, more young folks, more millennials, and like Gen Z, are moving to uh, to, to to Minnesota uh, because. When you have um, a focus on things like paid family medical leave, um, when you are um, uh, increasing access to health care rather than limiting it, those are things that are really appealing for people. And while Minnesota is doing some amazing things, what I don't want to get lost is that um, even before Roe was overturned, we had... Access issues, right? We had challenges in terms of ensuring that people had equitable access to healthcare. um, Because prior to Roe being overturned, there were challenges for low income people. There were challenges uh, you know for people uh, of color and for gender expansive um, individuals they 've worsened right after Roe was overturned, but I think it 's important that we also just like highlight. With all of the important, incredible steps that we have taken forward, there's still some pretty significant disparities that we see. There's always more work to do. Yes, for Don't our be, yes, yeah. Yes, exactly. Don't
0: think that this is the Minnesota, if we keep the DFL in power and we keep Governor Walls there and we have, you know, we can have more. We can have more care and more um, uh, pro LGBT laws and down the road, you know, down the line, I should say. I have another question about this. If it is discovered that a childbearing person in a red state has an anomaly in the late stages of their pregnancy and could possibly die, why is the quote "life of the mother"? Remember, that you always hear that mm-hmm. life of the mother. All of a sudden, ignored or irrelevant, uh, such as in the case of Kate Cox. You know, mm-hmm. they're saying there's life of the mother is an exception, but it's really not, is it,
1: Ruth? Well, I think it comes down to the old Maya Angelou saying when they show you who they are, believe them. Um you know, I think that oh, yeah. I, I, I think that part of this um and what what's really important there, we have heard a lot um with, with states that have uh, put restrictions on abortion, this idea of exceptions. And I think what the Kate ca- Cox um, uh, case tells us is that exceptions are not really uh, are not really exceptions, and the mm-hmm. um, and and behind each of these laws and the implications of these laws, because uh, it can. I don't think people are always sort of thinking about the human impact mm-hmm. and the implications behind uh these laws and and Kate Cox um is, is is one face, right? And so kind of the world was watching when you have this individual who it, whose life is at stake. She has the courts telling her that no um this this uh, does not this this does not meet the threshold. Yeah, where do you throw the draw the line well, when you're when you're on
0: death's door? I mean, where, where do they where do they come up with this life of the mother exception?
1: But I think what's but, but what's interesting here is um, Kate Cox had opportunity to travel out of state.
0: That's a good point. Yes, she where did.
1: this is also happening. With people who don't have the opportunity to do that,
0: absolutely, and yeah. so
1: the the names of folks that we are not necessarily hearing that um, have had sepsis and died. Um, Or the individuals who um, wanted children and had sepsis and now they're unable to conceive as a result of uh, being denied, of being denied care. Mm -hmm. And there are individuals who are being told, like, we know that you are going to develop sepsis at one point, but until you, like, like, come back when you're dying. Yeah, yeah, And then we'll try to we'll try to treat you. And that's not the way that any of this is supposed to work.
0: No. No. So um, I wish we had more time. I mean, we have two minutes for this segment. But I want to end on this question here before we get to the shift, um, which is the opinion section of the show, okay. the last 10 minutes. Uh, what is Planned Parenthood and its attorneys doing to fight back against states that forced 10-year-old girls that were raped – To give birth? Is there anything we can do about that? Because that to me is sick. That is absolutely insane.
1: Well, we were actually successful last year um, at the Iowa Supreme Court in um, defeating a six week uh, ban. Uh, sh- shortly after that victory, the Iowa legislature went back and passed the exact same law. So we are once again um, a- at the Supreme Court. We have a temporary restraining order. So um, uh, abortion is 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 still um, legal in Iowa today. Um, we also have a Supreme Court case that's pending in um, Nebraska as well. But in addition to sort of those legal routes that we are taking to try to protect access, we also have a t- Team of abortion patient navigators, and we have LGBTQ plus uh, navigators as well oh, wow. that are helping people from around uh, the the U.S. get to their appointments.
0: Wow, that's amazing! So, after we take a, a quick break, uh, we're going to get to the shift, which is a part of the show um, that uh, is opinion. So, uh, we're gonna I'm going to ask you. I'm going to throw some balls out to you and see if you can catch them. <laughs> and um, <laughs> but. Uh, Stay tuned. We're going to be back after these messages and uh, we'll be speaking to Ruth Richardson about her opinions on current events. Love you. Be back. Welcome back to the Downright Upright Show. I'm your host Philip Anthony, and today's guest is Ruth Richardson. Um, and we've been talking about uh, Planned Parenthood and how wonderful it is as an aid and help to women and childbearing people throughout Minnesota, Iowa, North Dakota. Maybe miss a state here or there, but you got to help me with that. So now we've come to the part of the show. I like to call it the shift, where we shift the questioning away from your personal journey and to your opinions on current events. But don't forget to say the F and shift, because <laughs> then we have a problem <laughs> with the sponsor.
1: <laughs> well, especially on the radio airwaves now, yeah. Like, uh,
0: I know. <laughs> yeah, this is my, you know, second show, yeah. So uh, we've got to watch out. We have to say shift it. I,
1: I will remember the F.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, remember the F. Um, so here's an update uh, on the Kate Cox story. And I'm sure you've all heard about Kate successfully got an abortion in a neighboring state, um, New Mexico, I believe, mm-hmm. and is now pursuing a lawsuit against the state of Texas. Yay! And if she doesn't win, I'm going to be furious. What are your thoughts? Of, what are your thoughts about that, uh, Ruth?
1: Well, I, I think it really shows that exceptions aren't really exceptions. And that when you have uh, individuals that are laser focused on controlling other people's reproductive health, it is extremely dangerous. Um, Kate's life was at stake. Oh, yeah. And she could not get access to care mm-hmm. and had to travel. Um, and, you know, thankful that she had the privilege to be able to do that because that doesn't happen with everyone. And when I think of Kate Cox's case and I think of what is happening in Idaho and there's a, a case that's going to the U.S. Supreme Court that would eliminate abortion access for exceptions as well. So I think Kate's story is the tip of the iceberg um, here. And what is truly frightening is that the lower court's decision is standing while the Supreme Court is waiting to hear this case. So um, there is basically no access for individuals, even with exceptions. And that is incredibly dangerous. And in many of these states it is more dangerous to be pregnant today than it was a decade ago or 20 years oh, ago yeah.
0: or 30 years ago oh absolutely absolutely and 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 where does the state again this is this is mind-boggling where does the state draw the line about where debt where, where the woman is about to die or and if there's no exception I guess she
1: just, what happens she just die I mean you just let her die I mean well, and I think when Nuts. we when we talk about the maternal health, the maternal mortality uh, crisis in this country yeah. right now, um, when you look at the statistics, what we know is that over 84% of the deaths that happen within the United States
0: mm-hmm.
1: are preventable. Oh, absolutely. This is a manufactured crisis because it doesn't have to be this way. And so to continue to see... Um, People doubling down on harmful and deadly policies mm-hmm. is is it, it's crazy, infuriating.
0: Oh yeah, uh, yeah. No words. Yeah. I, I'm gonna let's let's uh, piggyback on Kate Cox, and now we'll talk about Brittany Watts. This is another story that infuriated me. Um, Brittany Watts is a 34 year old Ohio woman, and she was charged with a felony. For, quote, and I never heard of this, abuse of a corpse. <laughs> I don't know what that means, but maybe you could tell us. After she miscarried in her bathroom and was later admitted uh, to a hospital for a life-threatening hemorrhage. Oh, my goodness. A grand jury later decided not to charge her. Well, big of them, right? Uh, in your opinion, how dangerous is this for women who have similar experiences in anti-choice states, and can certain states claim a woman gave herself the abortion and charge her with a felony?
1: Well, one of the things that I think it's really important to know is that prior to Brittany miscarrying, she had been at the hospital multiple times trying to get help. Mm. And so recognizing that... um, Something was sort of off in the healthcare um, space because she had multiple visits uh, to that, yeah. uh, you know to to emergency rooms, and um, while we don't know sort of all the details, uh, that that's sort of a question mark because there are so many um, sort of what seem like misses in this in this case, and I was really relieved to hear that charges were not going to be filed. But it doesn't undo the damage and trauma that yes. um, she experienced. And what I think is important to, to sort of lift up we know that miscarriage is very common. Yes. Um, in uh, in in this country, and we also know that when an individual is going to um, seek uh, medical care and they're looking for affirming care, what they're not looking for is for someone to call like law enforcement on them for them to be um, oh uh, arrested um, for for having uh, a miscarriage. A miscarriage. Um, but we also know that there are huge disparities in terms of who gets the police called on them in uh, situations, mm-hmm. and we see overwhelmingly that it's typically black and brown bodies, so uh, black and indigenous communities are the most likely to um, have that uh, experience. And so just thinking about the chilling effect that this has for communities. Yeah. When people are in need of help, you want them to uh, be able to trust that they can go to a healthcare provider and get the care that they need. But situations like this are oftentimes, I think, um, uh, they, they have down-the-road implications. Well, pe- people will not seek care. Hmm. And uh, perhaps put themselves at even greater risk um, health wise as a, yeah. as a result as a result of that. Uh, but the uh, uh, to start to criminalize um, individuals for having uh, a miscarriage is nothing but cruel. Oh my goodness!
0: And 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 this is Ohio, right? Mm-hmm. So let's say the same thing happened in another state. Maybe the charges would have been dropped. See that's another thing. You're going to charge a woman or a childbearing person who, through no fault of her own, had a miscarriage, and now you're going to put her in jail. This is this is possible, folks. This is not. I'm not talking hyperbole or making up, you know threatening stories or anything. This can happen, well, right, if, Ruth?
1: Well, if you look back, um, most states. Have a case similar to Brittany Watts somewhere, yeah. And so, just just recognizing that um, decisions uh, to criminalize uh, individuals around uh, miscarriage is so um, it's so wrong on so many different levels. So many
0: levels, yes. And um, and and the last question before we end the show, because um, we have only three minutes. Um, What do you think the Supreme Court will do regarding the accessibility of Mifepristone, which is the abortion pill, if you want to call it that, to the general public? And why is that pharmaceutical so important to women and childbearing people?
1: Well, so there were were two questions that were put before the Supreme Court um, as it relates to Mifepristone, uh, one of the drugs that is used for medication abortion. Um, I was pretty relieved that the first question that the uh, the court declined uh, to hear, and that was the question of whether mifeprestone should remain on the market. Uh, Because what uh, these individuals were seeking to do, they wanted to overturn the FDA's approval of mifeprestone that happened um, uh, over 20 years ago and say that, Mifeprestone should have never been on the market, so then it would have been completely removed from the market. The court declined to hear that. So regardless of what the Supreme Court decides within this case, Mifeprestone is going to stay on the market. And that's really good news because it has a 20-year history. It it's is safe. safe. It is effective. It's more safe than like ibuprofen and Tylenol. <laughs> yeah. So um, so, so it's good news that that is going to uh, stay on the market. So what yeah. the court is really considering considering right now is whether they're going to put restrictions on how um can be used and so that's what we're watching very closely are they going to try to say it can't be mailed are they going to try to say um, that stay tuned yeah that yeah. you you can't you have, have teleme- t- telemedicine right so those are the things that we are uh, paying close attention to right and uh, you know we, we've seen we've seen this court in action.
0: Yeah.
1: Um and so it is it's something that um we are paying a lot of attention to but what we want people to really know and understand is that um if uh there are restrictions that are placed on mifepristone mm-hmm. there's also another uh, medication abortion drug called misoprostol that is available and while it um requires um uh, more doses, um, you know, to, to accomplish, uh, uh, abortion, uh, healthcare. Um, it is something that we are prepared to use if, if we need to.
0: Yeah. How, uh, we've come to the end of the show. Yeah. I wish we can go on and on. I'm really over time here, but how can you be contacted? And, uh, should any audience members want to contact Planned Parenthood?
1: Yeah. So, questions? Yeah, Planned Parenthood North Central States. We're in Minnesota, North Dakota, South Dakota, Iowa, and Nebraska. Google Planned Parenthood North Central States and get in contact with fabulous. us. Fabulous.
0: Thank you, Ruth Richardson, for being a guest on the Downright Upright Show. Thank you to you our listeners, thank you for you're welcome <laughs> spending time with us today. Please stay tuned for more of the Downright Upright Show with Philip Anthony. That's me. Hello, <laughs> and <laughs> love you all. Stay tuned for more. Bye now.